Hello, Herstorians. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and welcome to another episode of Women of Herstory, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. Sitting next to me on this fine Tuesday is international slinky champion, Spring Never Falls. <laughs> I'm feeling springy. I'm feeling sprightly. I'm ready to bounce and other things. <laughs> How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing, um, pretty well. You know, hopped up on caffeine again, so. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Just because my name is Spring. Yeah. Nice. That's I like one. it. That's fun. <laughs> I'm a fan of puns. So we are halfway through November, and I'm fairly certain that that means 2021 didn't actually happen, right? Because like, how'd we get here? I'm pretty sure it's still February. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on there. But <laughs> just as a heads up, everyone, we are going to be taking next week off. So uh, that's Thanksgiving week. So you guys aren't going to be listening to us anyway. Um, but if you want to, you can always go back and listen to our backlog if you miss us oh so dearly. Uh, Please. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we're going to be taking the week of Thanksgiving off. I think that's the week of the 21st of November. And then we will be back that following Tuesday and Friday with our regularly scheduled. And greatest. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> Now for today's history lesson, we are going to be talking about the trailblazing Barbara Jordan, the first African-American to serve in the Texas State Senate since 1883, and the first black woman to serve in that governmental body, obviously among an incredible amount of other accomplishments, you know. Those are just, you know, the, the buzzwords, if you will. She sounds like a Shiro already. <laughs> a what? A Shiro? Oh, a Shiro. I heard Sheer. <laughs> she sounds like Sheer already. I was like, She, she sounds go? like a Shiro already. <laughs> there you go. Well, let's head on out to Texas, y'all. Oh, boy. <laughs> Howdy and such. Quote, what the people want is very simple. They want an America as good as its promise. Barbara Jordan was born on February 24th, 1936 in Houston, Texas's Fifth Ward, a historically black and underserved part of the greater Houston metroplex. Her father, Benjamin Jordan, was a Baptist preacher, and her mother, Arlene Patton Jordan, was a teacher in the church. Arlene was actually a granddaughter of Edward Patton, one of the last African-American members of the Texas House of Representatives prior to the disenfranchisement of black Texans under the Jim Crow laws. Barbara was the youngest of three. They were Rosemary Jordan McGowan and Benny Jordan Cresswell. I am assuming those are later married names. I know, full it, names. I know what it's like to be the youngest of three. Her, she has a strong personality. You'll see. I, I, I think it was pretty okay. To hold for the her. position she did, I'm sure she had to fight both in you know the ranks of family members and also mm -hmm. her, yeah. her duties. The siblings were all encouraged by their parents to strive for academic excellence. She attended Robertson Elementary School, then went on to graduate from Phyllis Wheatley High School in 1952. She displayed a gift for language and building strong arguments in high school, graduating with honors and as an award-winning debater and orator. 
Barbara later credited a speech she heard on Career Day by Edith S. Sampson with inspiring her to become an attorney. That's cool. I remember I did some research on Edith. Um, So she's an impressive woman. And so to be following in her footsteps, more or less, is an equally impressive feat. Yeah, I think it's cool that Career Day actually does impact people's lives. You know, a lot of people don't take that day seriously in school when when you have all the speakers in the booths and stuff. We never had career day. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. <gasps> oh. New York City public school. Come Education on, system. Yeah. Get it together. Yeah, number one in <laughs> things. Quote, just remember the world is not a playground but a schoolroom. Life not a holiday but an education. One eternal lesson for us all, to teach us how better we should love. Yes. I know. So keep in mind, here we are in the 1950s in good old Texas. So segregation is dipping its nasty feet in every single institution, be it private, public, church, school, business, doesn't matter. Everywhere. Anything. Everywhere. Anything that could possibly be segregated. Discriminate against other people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Barbara had proven herself as a top student, but due to segregation, she couldn't attend the University of Texas at Austin. Instead, she chose to attend Texas Southern University, a historically black institution where she majored in political science and history and pledged the Delta Sigma Theta sorority. She graduated magna cum laude in 1956. Wow. So she was reaching reaching for the stars at an early age. Oh, yeah. From the start. Quote, if the society today allowed wrongs to go unchallenged, the impression is created that those wrongs have the approval of the majority. Yeesh. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeesh. Those wrongs become right, and I don't want any part of that. They just become, eh, it's fine. Ugh. Oh, no. After graduating, Barbara went on to attend Boston University School of Law, where she was one of very few black students in the program. She graduated in 1959. Quote, education remains the key to both economic and political empowerment. In 1960, Barbara returned to Houston and started her own private law practice in the highly sought-after and chic location of her parents' home. (laughs) (laughs) I love that her parents were like, yeah, whatever, just set it up. Let's do it. Yeah, do your work here. (laughs) (laughs) We'll figure it out. It's fine. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. It was around this time that Barbara began to invest her time in politics. She decided to volunteer her time campaigning for the Democratic presidential ticket of John F. Kennedy and fellow Texan Lyndon B. Johnson. Barbara headed the Harris County voter drive, yielding around an 80% voter turnout. That's crazy, because when you pay attention to the communities that are deemed to be beneath you or of no value, you will notice that, oh, well, it looks like if we show that we care, they will in turn Help us to be elected. <gasps> she put in work and wow. turned things around. Brand new information. I, I'm glad she had such an impact, though. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's just proven that if you if you give people a little bit of, I don't want to say hope because that makes it sound empty. But if you say, like, we're, we see you, we're, you know, we see you, we want to help you. She's the Stacey Abrams of her time. Yeah. 
it was time for Barbara to throw her name into the mix. In 1962, and then again in 1964, she campaigned unsuccessfully for a seat in the Texas House of Representatives. Noticing that maybe this wasn't the best avenue, she switched up her ticket in 1966 and ran for a seat in the Texas Senate for Houston's 18th district. And she won. This win made her the first African-American state senator in Texas since 1883 and the first black woman to serve in the body. She was, of course, met with a warm reception like a glass of mulled wine. Just kidding. Of course, she was met with apprehension. Oh. She was black, a woman, and oh, by the way, a member of the LGBTQ community. You had me going for a second. You pulled the rug right (laughs) from under me. Yeah. I really did think she was going to be received warmly, especially with the reception that she had received earlier for her previous work. Yeah. No. No. Damn. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, good for her, though. You know, suck yeah. it, you know, to, to those people who doubted her. She ran on a platform of wanting to improve the lives of her constituents. She succeeded as she helped to usher in the state's first law on minimum wage. She also worked to create the Texas Fair Employment Practices Commission. In 1968, Barbara was reelected to a full term in the Texas Senate, where she served until 1972. Her colleagues voted her the first African-American female to serve as president pro tempore of the state Senate. So they did come around to her. She had to. I mean, yeah, she (laughs) like they had to like she just had to step her foot in the door for them to swing open other doors for her. You know, Mm -hmm. she was a very capable. Sounds like she was a very capable human being and a convincing person and a deserving person. She's somebody who could quite easily be like. Come to my side. Yeah. And everyone's like, let me mm, show you, you say good words. Yeah, <laughs> let me show you why my way is the right way. And then, you know, everyone's smartened up. So as per tradition for this position that she was um, elected to, she then served for one day as the acting governor of Texas. On, on, on June 10th, 1972, she was the first African-American woman to serve as the governor of the state. I hope she won't be the last <laughs> in... Texas in the history of Texas. Oh, hopefully not. But you know Texas being Texas and all. Oh, you went a little Savannah, Georgia with that accent. I was just going for the like a southern. <laughs> I was going for anything with a drawl. <laughs> During her career in Texas politics, she sponsored or co-sponsored some 70 bills. Now I'm unsure of the average statistics on this figure, but considering she was there for six years, that seems like an above average number to me. I would say right? that's very that that's good for now. That's great for back then, especially um, for you know possibly the lack of support she might have had. Mm-hmm. You know, like to initially. start out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Um, no, I'd say that's a, that that's an impressive feat. Quote, more is required of public officials than slogans and handshakes and press releases. More is required. We must hold ourselves strictly accountable. We must provide the people with a vision of the future. In 1972, Barbara was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, throwing another into her cap of firsts, making her the first woman elected in her own right to represent Texas in the House. 
She received major support from then-President Lyndon B. Johnson, who further helped secure her a position on the House Judiciary Committee. Quote, I felt somehow for many years that George Washington and Alexander Hamilton had just left me out by mistake. But through the process of amendment, interpretation, and court decision, I have finally been included in We the People. I'm surprised you didn't sing out Alexander Hamilton's name. I thought about it. Good that she's getting her just desserts and getting the uh, recognition that she deserves after putting in all that hard work. Absolutely. For the lifespan. For her life. For her, you know, for the entirety of her life. Absolutely. So, let me set a little scene for you. Okay. The top song on the charts is The Way We Were by Barbara Streisand. Perfect. Blazing Saddles is doing well in the box offices. Love that movie. Connect Four has just been released. The price of a postage stamp is 10 cents. Great, great. And President Richard M. Nixon is all kinds of caught up in the Watergate scandal. Pause. That's right, friends. We are in 1974 and life is weird. Let's chat a little bit about what Watergate was and how it ties into Barbara Jordan. I'm I'm intrigued. <laughs> Did you like my setup there? Yeah, please enlighten <laughs> me. Now now I'm 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 buckled in. Watergate. When Nixon was running for re-election in 1972, the United States were deep in the Vietnam War and shocker, the country was divided. Desperate to make sure he would be back in office, he and his key advisors decided that aggressive tactics were the way to go. This is not so code for illegal espionage. In May of 1972, members of Nixon's super-secret spy club broke into the Democratic National Committee's Watergate headquarters. They were snotty little thieves and stole copies of top-secret documents and then proceeded to bug the office's phones. These idiots didn't do it properly, and they failed to produce anything useful. So... On June 17th, a group of five super-secret spy club burglars went into the Watergate building. Ah, yes. Always best to return to the scene of the crime, friends. When the group were about to break into the office to replace the microphones, a security guard noticed that a sneaky little mouse had put tape over several of the building's door locks. They called the police, who caught the super-secret spy club burglars red-handed. Initially, there wasn't an indication as to who they were working for, but then they found copies of the re-election committee's White House phone number in the burglar's belongings. You foolish tree skirts. They're kind of like the Bond villains who give James Bond like a whole monologue and kind of waste time in their in their <laughs> yeah. devious plan, allowing him enough time to break out of whatever situation he's in. Where it's Honestly. just like you you did the, like damn and like damn. don't leave things around that tie you to people. Yikes! Come on, super yikes! Amateurs, super yikes! What is happening? Not the sharpest tools in the shed, just oh, tools. Boy. Not the brightest tools in the shed. Not the sharpest. <laughs> Not the sharpest light bulbs in the box. Rise. <laughs> Funnily enough, though, this didn't seem to matter to the voters because he won in a landslide that November. Nah. Uh, He claimed that, you know, they were not involved and people believed him, I guess. A few days after the break-in, though, he arranged to provide hundreds of thousands of dollars in hush money to the burglars. 
Washington Post reporters Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein were crucial in exposing the crimes, even winning a Pulitzer Prize, and the incident was the basis for their best-selling book, All the President's Men. Their information was from an anonymous whistleblower they called Deep Throat, who was revealed to be Mark Felt, former associate director of the FBI in the year 2005 when this information was revealed. Yeah. His aides and others testified that Nixon had even secretly taped every single conversation that took place in the Oval Office. Yeesh. His lawyers said that he was allowed to keep tapes of himself and that he didn't need to release them. Can't believe they said it like that, Yeah, too. it's kind of crazy. It's obnoxious, almost. Judge Sirica, the Senate committee, and an independent special prosecutor named Archibald Cox yep. were like, nah, fam, hand them over. And Cox wasn't going to stop, so Nixon fired him. Oh, <laughs> Then several Justice Department officials resigned in protest. And the evening of these events, October 20th, 1973, are actually known as the Saturday Night Massacre. Eventually, Nixon was like, I mean, fine, you can have these, but not those. I think it's one of my favorite (laughs) debaucherous moments in U.S. history that... It ruined um, everything. Fast forward a bit, and Nixon is dragging his feet, charges are pressed by the new special prosecutor, and the jury is kind of confused on if they can indict a sitting president. (laughs) They called him an unindicted co-conspirator. So... Uh... Yeah. Supreme Court is ordering... It's like the Alford plea that blows my mind. It's like you admit guilt without admitting guilt and your punishment is less it's basically saying you guys have enough to um prosecute me and i'll be found guilty so i'm gonna take an alfred plea i don't understand yeah it so the supreme court is ordering him to turn the tapes over he's still lollygagging around with his thumb up his butt the house judiciary committee said well fine then drama mama let's vote to impeach this fool for obstruction of justice abuse of power criminal cover-up, and several violations of the Constitution. Wait, was she part of the House Judiciary Committee? She was. What, at this time? Perfect. Okay. Hugh Barbara Jordan. Excellent segue. A member of the House Judiciary oh, Committee. Oh, I hope she brought the hammer down. Like Thor. Oh, get ready. Or she Thor. In a televised 15-minute speech before the committee on July 25th, 1974, she expressed her support for the impeachment of Nixon. This speech is regarded as one of the greatest in 20th century American history. She announced she stood by the Constitution of the United States. Defending the checks and balances system designed to prohibit a politician from abusing their power. She never overtly said she wanted him impeached. She subtly implied it by stating facts, proving Nixon to be untrustworthy and involved in illegal activity. Barbara quoted the drafters of the Constitution, proving that Nixon's actions corresponded with their idea of impeachable offenses, and said that the Watergate scandal forever ruined American citizens' trust for their government. Preach. Yeah. Quote, My faith in the Constitution is whole, 
it is complete, it is total, and I am not going to sit here and be an idle spectator to the diminution, the subversions, and the destruction of the Constitution. It is reason and not passion which must guide our deliberations, guide our debate, and guide our decision. She dunked on him so hard that she shattered the glass, broke the rim, <laughs> and uh, brought the house down. <laughs> evidently, also cracked the floor that she landed on. So yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, wow. Nixon finally released the tapes, proving his complicity in the Watergate crimes, hmm. and further resigned in disgrace on August eighth, leaving office the following day. Gerald Ford was sworn in six weeks later and pardoned Nixon for any crimes committed while in office, yep. which also seems illegal. Yeah, yeah, that, that did happen. Though his aides were convicted of serious offenses and sent to federal prison. Nixon never admitted criminal wrongdoing, but acknowledged poor judgment. Yeah, he was saved by that executive privilege. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Flames on the side of my face. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Oh, if you guys don't watch It's Always Sunny, you're not going to get that one. That's fine. You should watch it. In 1976, Barbara was mentioned as a potential running mate for Jimmy Carter of Georgia. Though this never came to fruition, she did become the first African-American woman to deliver the keynote address at the Democratic National Convention. Even though she wasn't a candidate, she received one delegate vote for president at the convention. Someone was like, no, uh, she needs a vote, and <laughs> I don't want to vote for anyone else. Quote, my presence here is one additional bit of evidence that the American dream need not forever be deferred. She reportedly hoped to secure the position of U.S. Attorney General in Jimmy Carter's administration. He won and gave the position to someone else. Quote, the arts are not a frill. The arts are a response to our individuality and our nature and help to shape our identity. What is there that can transcend deep differences and stubborn divisions? The arts. They have a wonderful universality. Art has the potential to unify. It can speak in so many languages without a translator. The arts do not discriminate. The arts can lift us up. M- moving i know that that was that was brilliant and it speaks volumes mm-hmm. you know the arts the arts can be anything you know the arts can be uh it's an incredible through line one of my favorite things i know this isn't an art episode but <laughs> is if you look at periods of time back in the olden days you know before this rapid information sharing time we live in 10 years ago yeah um that's true um but you can see people from different parts of the world who have had no contact with each other who have not even necessarily been exposed to the same things painting similar um styles or or similar using art in a similar expression like with dance with all these things and you're like wow we all have this same base nature of expression it's incredible and i love when politicians acknowledge that and can say like this is how we can get people together (laughs) that's not very often that people do that it's a unifier yeah absolutely barbara supported the community reinvestment act of 1977 the legislation requiring banks to lend and make services available to underserved poor and minority communities crazy that this had to be like (laughs) 
an official governmental act to make banks pay attention to people other than the 1%. Yeah, the banks wouldn't do it on their own, though. So, you know, thank you. Thank you, big brother. Thank you, government. <laughs> she authored the act that ended deferral authorization of price fixing by manufacturers. And unsurprisingly, she was a proponent of the Equal Rights Amendment. Excellent. The U.S. National Archives cite her as the first LGBTQ plus woman in Congress. Her partner of 20 years, Nancy Earle, was an occasional speechwriter for her, and she was an educational psychologist, and the two met on a camping trip in the late 60s. I'm sure she also took no crap yeah. as well. <laughs> Though neither woman is known to have acknowledged the nature of their relationship publicly, the Houston Chronicle called Nancy her longtime companion and others calling her her same-sex partner. So... And those actually seem um, not derogatory in the way that they're written. So that's nice that they weren't these lesbians. Ugh, it reminds you know? me of like in Survivor in the early seasons when they would be like, this is my, this is my, uh, my, this is like my long, yeah, they'll yeah. call him companion yeah. just because Survivor was so skittish and danced around the fact that there could be same-sex relationships yeah. that yeah. they'd be like this is my best friend from home yeah and then they'd have these like intimate moments and, and it's just like, like damn survivor your best friend. call a spade a spade <laughs> <laughs> like let them be out we see it it's fine <laughs> don't be weird survivor anyway quote i never intended to be a run-of-the-mill person in november 1977 barbara spoke at the national women's conference in attendance among many others were Rosalind Carter, Betty Ford, Lady Bird Johnson, Bella Abzug, Audrey Collum, Claire Randall, Jarity Wheeler, Cecilia Bursiaga, Gloria Steinem, Lenore Hershey, and Jean O'Leary. So oh, just like... The who's who. Just a couple of strangers. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> just some randos. Just some random people. I don't people. know. They'd probably pluck these who women off are the street, you, you know? <laughs> Surprising to everyone, Barbara retired from politics in 1979 and became an adjunct professor teaching ethics at the University of Texas at Austin. Most thought she would have gone further in her political career. It was later revealed that she had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Oh, no. Yeah. That same year, she wrote her autobiography, Barbara Jordan, A Self-Portrait. Barbara continued to advise and was part of the special counsel on ethics for Texas Governor Ann Richards. Her health continued to decline, though this didn't stop her from being the keynote speaker once again at the Democratic National Convention in 1992, where she gave the address from her wheelchair. Wow. Yeah. She was like, not going to stop me. No. <laughs> someone someone build me a ramp because you guys don't have one, probably. <laughs> I have some stuff I need to say. <laughs> I don't know why she sounds like that. I'm sure she was very, like, uplifting yeah. in her speech. <laughs> I don't know why we made her crotchety. That yeah, was weird. Yeah, no, we apologize. <laughs> in 1994, President Bill Clinton awarded her the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He later shared that he wanted to nominate her for Supreme Court, but it was too late as her health problems would prevent this from happening. Oh, dang. I know. She was also suffering from leukemia. No, no, that's okay. Her health comes first. Yeah. A previous incident on July 31st, 1988, she nearly drowned in her backyard pool while doing physical therapy. Oh, goodness. Her partner, her partner Nancy, found her floating in the pool and revived her. Whoa. I know. Yeah. 
Clinton ended up appointing Barbara to head up the Commission on Immigration Reform. Barbara was the recipient of over 20 honorary degrees, including ones from Harvard and Princeton. She was elected to both the Texas and National Women's Halls of Fame in 1984 into Texas and 1990 into National. At least it happened while she was still alive. Okay, now, from 1994 until her death, this is a big yikes, but we have to mention it. As chair of the U.S. Commission on Immigration Reform, she recommended the total immigration be cut by one-third to about 550000 per year. She supported increasing enforcement against undocumented migrants and their employers. She supported eliminating visa preference for siblings and adult children of United States citizens, as well as ending unskilled immigration except for refugees and nuclear families, which sounds like exploitation to me. Saying, unless you can immediately have this skill for us, that's, you're not welcome That's here? kind of a trash idea. Yeah. Um, in yeah. A re- yeah. Okay. In a report to Congress, she said, quote, a right and responsibility of a democratic society is to manage immigration so that it serves the national interest, which isn't wrong, but in combination with other statements is not the best sentiment. N- no. Quote, legal immigration has strengthened and can continue to strengthen this country. But when you're wanting to cut legal immigration by one-third, you're making it exponentially more difficult for this to happen. And then you're going to have more undocumented people coming in that are in a panic. I, I, you can't say, I want, like, like, immigration is wonderful. Look at what immigration has done for our country. But then also at the same time, cut it, cut the programs down. Yeah, that's a big yikes. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. She even recommended the U.S. reduce the number of refugees admitted annually to a floor of 50,000, but suggested it be lifted during emergencies, so I guess there's that. This report is actually frequently cited by American immigration restrictionists. That's kind of crazy to think, though, because, like, you know, if people are immigrating to the United States, it's most likely an emergency. Right. They don't, no one casually does that. Right. No and one, I, like, you know, and, and I, and I think it's interesting. I, I wonder how much, I don't know, it's just the end of her political career doesn't seem to match. Like, the last 5% of her political career seems completely off color to the other 95% of her career, which is all about helping the community. Um, there was, she did a whole lot in Houston for um, Mexican, the, the Mexican American population. She was like, that was a big part of her platform. And so I, I just, I wonder what happened at the end there. Maybe it's all the um, medication. I don't know. Could have been. Yeah. That pool incident really messed, uh, you know, (laughs) fried a couple of her brain cells. who knows? That's unfortunate. Barbara Jordan died on January 17th, 1996, at just 59 of complications from pneumonia in Austin, Texas. After her death, the main terminal at Austin Bergstrom International Airport was named after her, and the airport also features a statue of her by Bruce Wolfe. Have you been through that uh, airport? 
I actually haven't. I've never flown to Austin. I used to just drive. I've never been to Texas. That's not true. Definitely not twice. <laughs> but definitely haven't been through that airport, though. Yeah, no, you've been through just um, Dallas Love Field and DFW. Yeah. Texas is full of dedications to her. From the boulevard in central Austin, named after her, to a number of schools, including elementary schools in Dallas, Odessa, Richmond, and Austin. The Barbara Jordan Early College Prep School, Barbara C. Jordan Intermediate School, a middle school in Cibolo, and at her undergrad alma mater, Texas State University, the Barbara Jordan Institute for Policy Research. A park in Needville, Texas, is named in her honor. Where is that? I have no idea. Texas is big. (laughs) The Kaiser Family Foundation operates Barbara Jordan Health Policy Scholars. The fellowship is for people of color who are college juniors, seniors, and recent grads, providing them with summer experience working in a congressional office. In 2000, the Jordan-Rustin Coalition was created honoring Barbara and Baird Rustin, who was another leader in the civil rights movement and a close confidant of MLK Jr. Oh, interesting. The coalition mobilized gay and lesbian African Americans to aid the passage of marriage equality in the state of California. How important. Right? Okay, I pulled this from the the coalition. So, Mm -hmm. quote, The mission of the JRC is to empower black, same-gender-loving, gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender individuals and families in greater Los Angeles to promote equal marriage rights and to advocate for fair treatment of everyone without regard to race, sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. I love it. So necessary mm-hmm. that that work could, you know, can't, you can't understate, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how... Important it was. Yeah. Absolutely. On March 27th, 2000, a play based on her life premiered at the Victory Garden Theater in Chicago, Illinois. Cool. It was called Voice of Good Hope. It was written by Christine Thatcher, and the play saw success across the country, from San Francisco to New York City. I wonder where in uh, New York it played. Where in Manhattan? I or, couldn't find uh, it. I'll say New York City. Could could have been in Brooklyn. Prob- I, it was probably off-Broadway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of those fun little... Houses. Yeah. yeah. On April 24th, 2009, a statue of Barbara was unveiled at the University of Texas at Austin, The same university she wasn't able to attend because of segregation and where she was teaching at the time of her death. Full circle on that. It was paid for by a student fee increase approved by the University of Texas Board of Regents. And it was spearheaded by the 2002-2003 Tappy class of the Texas Orange Jackets, the oldest women's organization at the university. I thought that was cool. I I went on a weird little rabbit hole there. (laughs) I really like knowing that. As part of the Black Heritage series of U.S. stamps, the Barbara Jordan Forever stamp was issued in 2011 as the 34th stamp in the series. Oh, that's really cool. Stamps are important. Yeah. United States. Everybody go buy them. Go buy them. Help fund the post office. (laughs) (laughs) In 2012, Barbara was inducted into the Legacy Walk an outdoor public display celebrating LGBTQ plus history and people. The same year, the Barbara Jordan Media Awards were inaugurated. It is given annually to media professionals and students. 
quote, who have produced material for the public which accurately and positively reports on individuals with disabilities using people-first language and respectful depictions. The Barbara Jordan Public-Private Leadership Award was created and presented by Texas Southern University's School of Public Affairs and School of Law. The first recipient was former U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton on June 4, 2015. I'm I really like that they um like after she passed there were so many um they just kept yeah in in honor of in mm-hmm. lieu of um you and know not just empty statues yeah because as much as her um controversial opinions um mm. were you know disagreeable For mm-hmm. I think overall uh, yes. her body of work um, speaks to the greater good that she was trying to put out in the atmosphere, yes. in the universe. Yes, yes, um, yes. I wonder if she could have been introduced to better ideas uh, yeah. as an older as a as an older adult. Mm-hmm. Um, neither here nor there I because wonder, she did yeah. pass. So yeah. I, I wonder. Fifty nine is is like young. Right. That sucks. Yeah, and I wonder if part of it maybe was. Uh, the information she was receiving and figures she was looking at, you know what I mean? Where it's like, if you don't have the whole picture, things can get skewed. So there must have been some bad apples chirping yeah. in her ear. <laughs> you know, apples chirp. <laughs> I'm going to leave you guys with this quote. We as human beings must be willing to accept people who are different from ourselves. Damn. Okay. <laughs> wow. Short and sweet one for that. Yeah, that really. That packs a punch. Yeah. And you know, she she's she is right too. Yeah. For someone who it seems like she had she time and time again uh, faced adversity, mm-hmm. um, you know, in her line of work, it is important to be able to open the doors like her constituents did for her mm-hmm. when she entered the po- uh, the political atmosphere, mm-hmm. and. To also um, bring about new ideologies, mm-hmm. you know, uh, being a, a woman in her position and then to be able to support such amendments like the ERA, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 it goes it goes far. Mm-hmm. It speaks volumes, again, to the kind of person that she set out to be. Absolutely. And she was definitely just ill-informed about immigration Yeah, because, you know... It's like if you have 10 darts and you try to hit a dartboard, for you to hit 10, you'd have to be like, yeah. that has to be your sport. Yeah. You know what I mean? That has to be sport. That has yeah. to be your thing. I'm not calling dart throwing a sport. <laughs> That's shade. I'm throwing shade right there. That's, I don't throw darts. I throw oh, shade. Oh, we're going to hear from the professional dart throwers now. At me. <laughs> anyway. It speaks at him, not yeah, at us. <laughs> no, me too, Leave and me out her. Of this. Yeah, the, the two of but us. But no, it does. It speaks volumes that even with a controversial um, uh, opinion or yeah, ideology, you right. can't expect to hit ten out of ten right. darts unless you yeah. are. Some yeah, sort of like we're saying, that just the overall body of her dart work extraordinaire. is is proof positive that she was a positive impact maker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Positive influence. That after she passes, there are like two decades worth of like recognition that she's I know. I feel like she's still getting recognition. And, stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you, historians, for tuning in again. Follow, subscribe, tell your upstairs neighbor. 
Come back this Friday for an interview with playwright, author, director, and a number of other titles, Carolyn Gage. In this interview, she shares what drives her to reclaim stories of lesbian women in history, how autism has affected her life, and how she hopes to change the world. It's good that she's wearing all those hats because it's getting chilly. It is. In New York. Chile, Chile. City. <laughs> Greater New York City. Burroughs. <laughs> Follow us on social media Instagram, at dominoes.com, <laughs> or at Women of Her Story Podcast, TikTok, at Women of Her Story, Twitter, at The Her Story Pod, Facebook. Women of Her Story. <laughs> and you can visit our website at ofherstory.com backslash Thanksgiving week. Love it. Until Friday, <laughs> be safe, stay healthy, and show the world what you're made of. Bye. Bye. Darts isn't a real sport. <laughs> Get out. Just kidding. Maybe. <laughs>